Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course, my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, Heal Squad. It's going to be a great day because we are going to learn so much today from our guest. You guys have no idea. If you think it's just a baby show, it's not. It's for you as an adult and you will see why when we start chatting. But first, our quote of the day, no language can express the power and beauty and heroism of a mother's love. That is by Edwin Chapin. And uh, I, I know that I'm going to feel that beauty, power, and heroism soon. So that's why we're doing Baby Week. Uh, Really, really excited about our guest today. We had such a great conversation. I learned so much. But also, like I said, not just for baby. Um, I always curate shows based on what I'm needing in the moment, hoping that other people will be needing the same thing. So maybe there are new moms in their later years that are going to need this information. But there's so many things that we learned and discovered today as adults that are really powerful um, that maybe when we were born, we just didn't know about. I know that's the case for me specifically. Uh, So Danielle Goss is an international board certified lactation consultant, certified childbirth educator, and she's author of Booby Fairy's Guide to Breastfeeding. Uh, Vaggie Tales, Memoirs from Down Under. She's trained in oral tethering, which we just learned about today, specializing in the identification and treatment of lip ties, tongue ties, buccal and posterior tethering. She specializes in proper body work following phrenectomy, including the importance of acupressure calming points. Uh, Over the course of her 17-year career, she has assisted in numerous births and helped educate thousands of women about the birth process and breastfeeding needs of their infants. She had the unique opportunity to work both in a hospital setting for four years and pediatric office for nine years before settling into her new home base in Irvine for the last four years. 
we learned so, so much in this interview, and I'm so excited for you, Heal Squad, to have a listen to my conversation with Danielle. So Danielle, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this baby week because I always curate content based on my needs because I know that there's other people that are going to have the same exact needs, but usually it's in health and wellness. Um, but I feel like this is health and wellness, but for absolutely. a baby. Absolutely. absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your journey to here, because of course, We've been watching you on TikTok and your videos are so engaging and so informative. And I love that. Um, tell me kind of how you how you got into all of this. I ended up in medicine kind of a roundabout way. I was a mom just like everyone else. I was actually in I was a theater major in college, was in a Lamaze class very young, and realized I didn't want to stay at home. You know, I mean, I wanted to stay at home with the kids. I didn't want to have to be out working all hours of the night. And I was like, I can totally do this. This is monologues about uteruses. I can absolutely do this. So that started my journey into motherhood. But I went into lactation after the birth of my second daughter when everything that could go wrong went wrong. She was completely different than her sister, who is 21 months older. I mean, personality, health, gut, everything was different. And I remember staring at her at six days going, oh my stars, I can't feed you. Became a total closet bottle feeder because of the stigma that was around that, which I have spent my whole career, you know, making completely different because we just want to feed a baby. That's our number one goal. And, you know, number one, we feed a baby. And number two, we do what makes you the best mom for that baby. And so that sent me into this whole world. She ended up being tongue-tied, which 19 years ago wasn't really known and the effects it can have lifelong weren't known. And so I, she was extremely colicky. I had postpartum depression. I just felt like I was drowning and I never wanted any mother to have to go through what I went through. So I did what I always do. And I dove into research and completely shifted gears, making my parents legit mad that I actually went into medicine, which is Wait, I've never heard of a parent be mad about their child going into medicine. Isn't that what they're always pushing everyone into? That's what we would hope. But my parents parents were both, you know, my mom was a high school theater teacher and wanted me to stick to the family business. So they were legit mad. My dad was a professional mime, you know, so I swear that's why I'm afraid of clowns. (laughs) Because that was the first face I saw. Uh, But I ended up, you know, telling him like, this is what I want to do. And went for it and learned anything and everything I could do about it. And I worked in a hospital setting for 12 years before going into a pediatric office for nine. And now I have a private practice in Costa Mesa, California. So that's interesting. So you became a lactation expert. I did. So what kind of certifications are required for that? So my licensing is I'm an IBCLC, which is an internationally board certified lactation consultant. So It's an advanced practice healthcare provider, but specifically for the feeding needs of infants. And my practice is a little different because I also have training in cranial sacral therapy. I do a lot of acupressure. Um, I look at each baby, each mother baby dyad as its own 
it's not cookie cutter, which I think a lot of practitioners, they get stuck in their ways and it's, it's cookie cutter. Everybody has to be the same. And that's just not the case. I feel you have to think outside the box to meet the needs of the mother and the baby and to really listen. Babies are so aware from the minute they arrive. And if you just take time to look at them and listen to them, they'll tell you their story and they'll tell you what they need. And so I have made it a point to just keep learning. I've always said, if I'm done learning, I'm done practicing because medicine is constantly changing and we have to be open to new things and new research. And I'm learning something new every single day, which is what keeps it exciting and beneficiary for even the practitioners I work with. I think that's so important is that continued passion for learning and growing because, and, and for all of us, not just someone in medicine, but I remember when I was interviewing uh, pediatricians, that was a big thing for me. And I had to do it in a kind of sly way because I don't want to give them the answer, but I'm like, oh, so, so, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of alternative methods and whatever. And finally we get to that place where one of them was like, oh, I am a constant researcher. I'm constantly looking for new things. I'm like, you're my person. And that's who you want to latch on to. That's a gift. And that's rare in the pediatric world because there are so many, you know, doctors are not taught about a lot of things regarding breastfeeding. They get maybe five hours of breastfeeding education, but even in regards to like oral tethering, they aren't taught that in medical school. So I've never even heard of oral tethering before this. So wonderful. I'm happy to happy to spill it all. Yeah. We're going to get into tongue tying and oral tethering and all of that. But yeah, I I also love hearing that because the the mission kind of behind this show is to really um, demystify kind of the medical system and what it really is. Because we've just, I believe that we give up our power and our control Mm -hmm. and all of it to people, we don't really know what their training is. We just are assuming they've got a white lab coat on, that they know everything and they're God. That's right. And when you hear how little nutrition they get in in education and how little they get in, you know, even, you know, a pediatrician in terms of of some of these really important topics like breastfeeding, I, I hear so many stories about women having difficulties in that and you're going to this person as the expert and you're taking right. their info as gold. <laughs> and they they may not know. You know, a lot of physicians are taught to wait for enough symptoms to treat a disease. In my field and a lot of the practitioners I work with, we focus more on preventative care because that's really, if you think about it, what it's all about is preventing issues in our children. Yeah. You know, both- I think you need to say that line one more time. What are they taught? Physicians are taught to wait for enough symptoms to treat a disease where in my practice and other care providers, we're taught for preventative care to wait before something drastic happens, which is how, in my opinion, medicine should be moving forward. It's constantly changing and evolving and you have to look outside the box. I can't tell you how often I have a mom come into my clinic that birth, their birth story, how the baby was brought into this world, their breastfeeding journey, what have you, it brings to light things they didn't even know they had. And if you don't take the time to look outside the box and think differently, you're going to miss so much of what that individual mother-baby dyad needs. So you've probably seen women be diagnosed with things based on their deficiencies in these areas. So like if they were having trouble with this area, they didn't know they had this. So maybe share some of that. 
Absolutely. So a lot of that too, and and what I try to is empower mothers because you know that baby better than anyone is going to know that baby. You know their cues, you know their smells, you know their facial expressions. And so I rely a lot on maternal instinct because you were designed to care for this child, right? So I am going to trust what that mother's instincts and guts say far more than anything of my knowledge or what other practitioners are going to say. Me as a mom myself, my, both my girls had really rare health conditions that had I not listened to my mom gut, my eldest daughter would not be alive. Grey's Anatomy literally saved her life. Season 15, episode five. That's no a way. whole other story. Seriously. Wow. And had I not listened to my mom intuition, we would have never gotten to a diagnosis. And I see moms come in, for example, if they were to Google low supply, low milk supply, the first thing that will come up is fenugreek, which is an herb that can um, increase breast milk. However, in our new era of increased autoimmune disease, of how we're giving birth, how we're you know increasing breast milk and what our environmental factors are playing a role into. If there's a mother who doesn't know she has an underlying autoimmune disorder or a thyroid condition, which is very prevalent postpartum, if you take fenugreek, you're going to actually dry up your milk because it lowers your blood sugar and your insulin levels. And your insulin is so crucial to producing milk. So if they just went to Dr. Google and typed in that without consulting a professional, they would have no idea. So then they come into my office, they feel defeated. They've been gaslit by the medical professionals that it's their fault their baby's not gaining. It's their milk that's the issue. When in reality, eight out of 10 times, it's actually the baby's anatomy that's causing the problem or a simple positioning issue or an undiagnosed thyroid condition that had the labs been drawn or this extra step taken, we would have known that and known that wow. that is the worst herb you could take compared to something else that will actually support you. See, that's so frustrating to me because there's so many things that I see in the medical system, which is some minor adjustments that would get better. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a new mom, why wouldn't they draw labs on you to make sure that you are all systems go for this phase of life and breastfeeding. Agreed. Right? I, I wish it were a common practice, especially one test in particular is the MTHFR gene mutation, which is actually on the rise. And it is responsible for how a mom absorbs folic acid in pregnancy. And it is the direct link to the increase of oral ties, tongue tie, lip tie. In my opinion, it should be a routine test that happens because it makes all the difference in the prenatal care of whether or not that mom can absorb folic acid correctly. You know, we give folic acid to pregnant moms all the time to help with any type of midline defect. But if the mother's a carrier of the MTHFR gene, which is becoming more prevalent, she needs methylated folate in order to protect from midline defects. Ooh. And those are tests that just aren't routinely run or at six weeks postpartum when your whole chemistry has changed, every dynamic of your endocrine system is involved in lactating. Or even if you're choosing not to lactate, that's still going to affect the different chemistries of your endocrine system. And so it should be something routine at six weeks. We're checking mom's thyroid and her insulin levels and her prolactin levels to see, is there any outside influences that could be a flag that's causing some of these deficits that she can fix either with her diet or with an IBCLC or, you know, any, or her physician in general. So with my surrogate, should we be testing these things now? I mean, we're like 
a few months away. Yes, right? that's exciting. So is that something that, are we already too late? No, not at all. Test all these it, things. I do feel that will be a little bit different because there's different genetics at play. However, it is something that would be helpful to know for a surrogate carrier because there is still her nutrition at play with mm -hmm. your baby, right? And so if she's not able to absorb soup, some nutrients, and it would just be helpful for her overall health to know because if it, it, it affects your mental health down the road. It affects any type of a midline defect within the body. So it's just helpful for anyone to be tested, period. But especially because it will give you kind of a precursor of, you know, because it's your genetics involved as well, along with the gestational carrier of her absorption of nutrition. So it plays yeah. a role on both ends. Well, also, if she has anything that's deficient, she might have problems um, giving us breast milk Absolutely. and pumping, right? That's right. Um, a lot of questions, but what is a midline defect? So in the gestational period, while the fetus is developing, there is the midline of the body, right? So for tongue ties, for example, the same gene that you see babies have little stork bites, right? Or they'll sometimes have little strawberry kisses on their forehead. Um, it could be an umbilical hernia, but most commonly anything within the midline as it develops, it can affect their a tongue tie, a lip tie. It could be within the digestive tract, the cardiac history, anything within that area it can affect. So most commonly it could be as simple as just a stork bite right? Which is- What's a stork bite? That is little red marks you'll see on the back of a baby's head. So we lovingly call it a stork bite in medicine because the stork brought them to you, right? Okay. And so that's the little love kisses that they gave or the angel kisses is kind of what we call them. Okay. Um, in medicine, it's a hemianginoma, but <laughs> we call them stork, stork bites. And that's if you have that gene, the M- it can manifest in that way. Certainly, you know, those any type of midline defect you can have without having the MTHFR gene, but it is more prominent if there will be some form typically with that gene mutation mm -hmm. that will cause that. So when it, I have a baby come into my clinic, I do a, an immediate full body assessment, right? So I'm looking for sucking blisters. I'm looking for that stork bite. I'm looking to see if the jaws recessed. I'm looking pretty much all over to just, because if I see any of those markings, the first thing I want to do is check the baby's suck. And I can tell an entire birth story from a baby's suck, just how they were delivered because I've been feeling sucks for a long time. <laughs> you know, I have that that knowledge. But you can tell an entire whether they've been induced and had Pitocin. How was their delivery? Is the baby holding on to tension in their body? You know, is there a tongue tie or a lip tie that's affecting how they're going to eat? Are they going to be gassy? Does that set them up for colic? But not only that, lifelong issues as well. Yeah. You were talking about blood sugar levels and insulin and how important that is. I wonder what how how does all of that play when you're type 1 diabetic? When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, 
for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. It plays a big role. And also a lot of women become diabetic in their pregnancy. Yes. So gestational diabetes is 
also on the rise. And um, especially because we as women are becoming, you know, mothers later on in life. And, you know, as we become older, our insulin and our blood sugar and all that can certainly shift as well. Uh, so gestational diabetes can be an issue. And so how your insulin levels adapt plays a huge role in a gestational period of the size of the baby, how they're going to be born, and of course, the dependency of your own body. So if it's a type one diabetic, we already have that standing history. We're checking your blood sugars often. So it's much different than a type two diabetic, which can be diet controlled. So in pregnancy, if they're gestational diabetic, we're a lot of times they can control it. It, it kind of falls more under that type two diabetic you know, mm -hmm. category yeah. because once they have the baby, they can heal, they from, can it. heal from it. But how does it affect... Um lactation and, and breastfeeding and all of that, is it harder for people with diabetes? It can be, um, you know, it can, it can go one end or the other. I've seen it both ways, but it is something to keep in the back of our minds because if they, they will be more prone to a lower supply. So tools to increase their supply will need to be monitored, um, meaning they need to have, I mean, every lactating woman needs at least 75 grams of protein. That's important. You know, lots of fluids and taking care of their nutritional needs specifically. But um, if the mother happens to be diabetic or has insulin insufficiency, that's going to be completely detrimental to her milk supply. So she needs to monitor her carbs and her protein and make sure she's taking specific herbs and relying mainly on stimulation and supporting our hormones versus truly relying solely on what she's intaking, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We got to get into tongue tying. Let's do it. And then we'll get into my lactation. But I, I saw that video of you and you're in this baby's mouth. First of all, <laughs> That baby video, that baby was so sweet and you're doing right. all these things. And I was just gushing in here with everybody. I'm like, I can't wait. This is so <laughs> cute. I was just losing my mind because the baby was just adorable as you I were in their that. mouth. And sometimes they're not that way. Sometimes they're real angry I'm, sure. I'm in there. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, what a special little child. That baby was such a sweet soul. I mean, when I say, when I meet them, my favorite part of my job, truthfully, is when I meet a baby, I will, I'll, I'll hold them and I just kind of, we make this eye contact and I swear they speak into my soul and I do a visual assessment, but just like staring at them and just almost asking permission if is, you know, I want them to have consent to, you know, yeah. they're little, they don't, they've come into this world and just been turned upside down. But when I lock eyes with that baby, it's such a special moment of just like, okay, tell me what you need. And then, you know, asking them and kind of listening to their cues. And then when I'm assessing the suck, so that baby specifically, I've known that family for a while. And then when that little one came around, I was like, you are letting me do all sorts of things and just a strong little warrior. And that was actually super impressive because it was post phrenectomy, which is how you treat tongue ties. And so I was demonstrating the stretches to keep that area, you know, supple and, and heal correctly. And he just kind of let me do whatever I needed to do. I was so moved. I really was. Oh, I was so I moved that. by that baby. I was like, oh my God. He's a I, special little guy. I don't get like that all the time, but I, I was, you know, losing my mind. So what is tying? And then of course you'll tell us about phrenectomies because that doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> so a 
oral tether. So everybody has frenulums. That's the stringy part under our tongues. Oh, okay. So, and we also have a lip frenulum, which is what connects our lip to our gums. And then of course, our tongue to our jaw. However, if it is connected in the wrong spot, it can cause a heap of issues. So this ligament is a collagenous fiber and it goes all the way down to the toe. So if you were to actually look at a cadaver and see that ligament, it literally connects from here and controls everything within that midline is down to the one? toe. One ligament. So the one that connects our our mouth here and underneath here, how does it how is it one? It goes behind the throat? It, it actually does. It kind of loops behind and it can go all the way down. It affects our, our gut. It affects your back. I had my tie corrected at age 40 um, for chronic migraines. Had no idea this whole time. Went through the same process. My kids were 16 and that's a whole amazing story in itself. My uh, eldest was 19 when she had hers and we just did her boyfriend at 20, which was a fascinating case. And that's a phrenectomy. A phrenectomy when you treat lip and tongue ties. So as a baby, the the reason why we look is that it is linked to lifelong health issues. So in the beginning stages, I mean, we can tell from day one, right, the minute they're out, whether or not this is going to be an issue. And there's different types of ties. So an anterior tongue tie is when it's to the very tip of the tongue. Those are very obvious. That's what pediatricians are trained to look for. They don't really know to feel, but those are the ones that they'll be like, yep, I see it. Back in the day, they would use scissors to clip it, which exactly hot, bloody mess. It kind of fixed the problem, but it wasn't giving the results that they were hoping for, which is why ties and phrenectomies get a bad rap. We now have the technology with a CO2 laser to treat it through a phrenectomy, which I'll explain. Um, But in the meantime, so what's causing this ligament can be genetic. It's a dominant gene. We're starting to see an increase due to epigenetic changes from the 80s. That is just, gen- it's not that ties are new. They've been around since people have been around. It's just a newer discovery. So what's happening with this is that if you have a posterior tongue tie, that's when that stringy part or that frenulum grows into the tongue. And so you'll see babies with sucking blisters. They'll have a white coating on their tongue. So they click when they feed either from a bottle or the breast. It can, from a breastfeeding standpoint, it can cause low supply, painful nipples, which breastfeeding shouldn't hurt, but it often does. And that's one thing I try to explain to moms is that it shouldn't hurt. So if there is something needs to be adjusted, there's always a reason. There's always a reason for sore nipples, always a reason for low supply. But even for my pumping moms or my formula feeding moms, you know, ties can cause colic, which is undiagnosed crying of three to four hours. So really babies don't cry to cry. There's always a reason. Yeah. So if they're crying, it's usually they're in pain or they're trying to communicate something. So these babies who have a tie, whether it's a lip tie or a tongue tie, it can actually cause gas reflux. And because it can't stretch, as the baby grows, it can cause more difficulty. So the first three months of that baby's life, that suck is a reflex. Well, I could imagine it would get sore. Absolutely. If you're sucking and it's not in that right place. Like I just felt it back here, just mm-hmm. thinking about it. Absolutely. It takes, for one suck, there are 12 cranial nerves, 40 muscles, and then the seven bony plates in the infant's head. So if there's any tethering along that line, it's pulling that back. So babies are biologically meant to 
to feed laying on top of the mom, which is why pregnant women get the dark line on their bellies, why their areolas get darker, because when the baby's born, this is literally the treasure map that leads to the target where the baked brownies are at the restaurant, right? It's instinctual. So with even our our bottle fed babies, I encourage certain paste feeding positions because it's going to associate those muscles and prevent any tension or colic if they're fed in a specific way. Because babies don't necessarily have control of a suck or their pattern if they're on their back. So we uh, we teach a different position for bottle feeding. If they have this tongue thing. Correct. Right. Got it. In general, really. I mean, babies' instincts to eat, they should be paste feed regardless because it's going to just control how much gas and they're in control of their food in that so way. Meaning feeding them upright. Correct. Either upright where the bottle is horizontal or I will use acupressure points, which the along the babies, and that's in some of the videos I have, on their shoulders and then on their bottom between their tailbone and their anus is actually the most calming point in the entire body. So that's why moms instinctually pat a baby's bottom is because that is in acupuncture is called the DU, D-U-2, and it actually reboots the nervous system. So for a baby, if there is pressure on their shoulders and their, their butt, during feeding, during calming, it actually reboots their nervous system and releases the cerebral spinal fluid that just immediately calms their nervous system and and simmers them down. So you could like, actually, that's interesting because John Amaral, who's been on the show many times, he's an energy healer. Whenever he works on me, he's touching my tailbone. That's right. It is the hub of our nervous system. Wow. Yeah. So and it's that's very interesting prevalent. to know with your baby. I do it with my dog. Yeah. And he instantly like, he loves it. Yes. I mean, I'm not putting it down there. I'm putting it on top, like right at his tail. It And it's, yeah. it's for any mammal. It just happens to be the hub of the nervous system. And, and as mothers, we just instinctually kind of pat their little bottoms and it, it will calm them. So if you have a baby that has a tie where this is all restricted, they're going to try to protect their gut, right? And as they grow, it can cause issues with picky eating, poor sleeping. You know, you'll hear about children who get, in my daughter's case, she was put under anesthesia four times before the age of six. And my mom gut was screaming. I'm like, something's not right here. She's different than our sister. And I was being dismissed by doctors. I mean, she had enlarged adenoids. You know, you have, you'll hear about kids getting tubes in their ears from frequent ear infections. You know, their job being recessed palate expanders, orthodontics, you know, you think about, um, you know, sleep apnea, how many adults are walking around with CPAP machines or how many of us have had braces or gaps in the teeth. So a lip tie will cause a gap in the teeth and it actually affects the sinuses, which is what's going to cause some clogged tear ducts in infants. But as they grow, this can't. So it causes lifelong issues and pain. Probably a lot of sinus infections. Absolutely. Sinus infections, ear infections, because the eustachian tubes in an infant are sideways. And so as they're growing, if they have a tie that's not been dealt with, those tubes can't drain. So that's why they'll put tubes in the ears to keep the eustachian tubes open if these kids are getting frequent ear infections. So what we had figured out is a new way to treat this. And if we can diagnose diagnose it young and treat it young, it prevents all of that. Wow. Yes. And migraines. And migraines. Do you feel like a lot of people who are walking around with migraines probably have this and didn't realize? In my opinion, yes. I think it's there's no statistics to truly support that. 
in what I see in my opinion and observations, I do believe that it's probably a higher case. And certainly, um, I mean, it, it, just looking around it, for me, I went in with a 10 day migraine, I had TMJ pain, wasn't expecting, you know, my daughter was going to be getting the phrenectomy, but being a mom, I was like, pick me, I'm going to do it first, I want to make know what she's going to go through. And I walked into the doctor who actually does our releases in our clinic. And I was like, I don't care what you do. Like, I just can't function. And it takes three seconds. It's a CO2 laser. It vaporizes the tissue and releases it and cauterizes it. It's super fast. Wow. And what was interesting is I wasn't expect. I mean, we numb the area so you don't feel it, but I heard it release. Like I heard it pop audibly, which isn't usually the case. And my headache was instantly gone. Wow. It was, and I felt like my head was floating. But you found this at 40. Yes. Did you not know you had a tongue tie situation? No, I didn't. So it's not something that's super obvious for people. Because to me, the way you described it sounded obvious. Like, uh, that little thing under there, if it's too far forward, you have it. Correct. But probably in the other places, it's harder to detect. Exactly. So if you have a posterior tongue tie, the string that you can see is in the tongue. So when a baby... connects back here. Correct. So you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see that. And so it affects the placement of the jaw. You know, you think about, you know, individuals that grind their teeth or have TMJ pain, right? And so what ends up happening is that this just ends up cementing and your body's going to grow extra ties. So in my daughter's boyfriend's case, where we have, because in our clinic, we have a chiropractor, we have a speech language pathologist, we have a dentist, and then of course myself. And so we did an experiment where we had the chiropractor kind of palpate his back. He's 6'5", like he's a big guy, but woke up with a headache every day of his life, has ADHD, which ties have been linked to the increase in ADHD because If you have a tongue tie, the tongue grows sideways and it blocks the airway, which is why if you ever see a child breathing through their mouth, that's a red flag. Babies are obligatory nose breathers. So if they're breathing through their mouth, that's a huge red flag that something isn't right. Mm. And so that can cause a blockage within the airway. And if they don't get into a deep REM sleep, they don't grow. They can, and if there's not good oxygenation to the cortex of their brain, then they can can develop ADHD, which is what has been the newest link, which has been fascinating. So in Ethan's case, we decided, you know what, you're an adult, you can talk to us, the babies can't tell us what you're feeling. And we filmed the whole thing. And we were able, Dr. Weaver came in, who's our chiropractor and was, you know, feeling his back and his spine during the procedure as we released his ties. And she felt it melt like butter. But what was so fascinating is he came off the, I mean, literally you're in the laser room five minutes. And a lot of that's just prep work. He came off the table, his whole face had looked different. Everything had relaxed and he looked super out of it and almost looked like stoned. And I was like, dude, did you take something? Like, I'm not mad, just tell me. And he's like, no, I I don't know. I feel like euphoric. And what had happened is he had an oxygen high because for the first time in his life, he had full oxygen. (gasps) I have the chills. So how do you diagnose this? How do you, is there an MRI to be able to see that string? All I have to do is do uh, an exam in the mouth. So I can tell by lifting up the lip. I can tell by, you know, in an infant, I just feel their suck. If a baby is using their jaw to lift the tongue in order to curl that tongue around a bottle or their finger or their pacifier, I'm a big fan of pacifiers. I'm probably rare in my field to say that, uh, but it 
it does do a huge service for strengthening the lateral side of the tongue, which is so crucial for this process and the healing process because babies have to chew to poo. So the pressure point is in the roof of their mouth for a baby in order to digest. So if you have a tied baby where that tongue is tied to the floor of their mouth, they cannot lift the tongue to the roof of their mouth to clean itself. So that's why you'll see milk protein on the tongue, which is another red flag. Mm. That baby's going to be gassy because they can't create a seal around the breast or the bottle. And they can't lift their tongue to the pressure point in the roof of their mouth to cause the peristalsis of the colon to digest. So these babies are constantly asking for something in their mouth, which parents then, okay, you must be hungry. We overfeed. And it causes this vicious cycle of reflux and gas. And the babies are just trying to chew to poo. Wow. Yes. Okay. So if I was putting myself in this situation where I'm like, okay, I think I have a baby with this. All right. If there is no MRI to show you exactly what's happening, how do you identify the location properly with a laser? Like, does this ever go wrong for people? The beautiful thing with the CO2 laser technology is that it's a, we have a dentist because it is, they're doctors of the mouth. And by lifting up the tongue, we can see exactly where it connects. So the best way for me to explain it, which is why you don't need really any imaging, think about a snag in your sweater right? Everything kind of bunches up. Mm -hmm. If you release that string, the material will open up. It might be a little bunched, but it will open up. That's exactly what's happening if that frenulum is in the wrong place and it's tied. So when we release the lip and the tongue, because 95% of the time, if there's a lip tie, there is some form of a tongue tie. And if you just lift the lip up, you can see instantly in a baby whether or not they have a lip tie, as well as an adult. And a lot of the advice from pediatricians is, don't worry, they're going to learn to walk and face plant and they're just going to break, break it on their own, which is terrible medical advice. Like, why are we waiting for this child to fall and an ER visit? And now we have, you know, this bloody mess and the trauma to this child, which was traumatic when we could have identified it, allowed it to heal properly, address it correctly and treat it within three seconds. So when we treat it, we numb it with a topical gel. We literally just use a, it's a, so the CO2 vaporizes the tissue and it cauterizes it. So it can't necessarily reattach. If you do proper care of massaging and body work along with it, it allows the body to heal a little slower. So it will form a new frenulum, but in the correct spot. So that way their whole body can open up and we can put them more in extension mm -hmm. instead of flexion so that that way they're not causing more defects. But there's also the one you said that you can't see that goes through the tongue. Right. So are you saying that that's the only one that's not visible and the other ones would be visible? That would be the indicators that this is something you need to deal with? Correct. And okay. the posterior, which is the one you feel versus see, so a lot of times the tongue will curl in. So there are things visible that you can kind of decipher that give clues to go and feel the suck. Okay. But there also can be a submucosal posterior, which is where there's a piece of fascia. So babies are covered in fascia, which is like press and seal clean wrap right? Over their muscles, their bones. And so if that frenulum has grown into the tongue and now this piece of fascia is pushing it back, when you lift the tongue up, it'll look very white and sheen. Mm. So those get missed all the time because unless you're feeling that baby suck and feeling where that tongue can curl, and if they can't lift, then we know there's different 
you know, therapies that should be done prior. So sometimes we can get the tongue functional enough where we don't have to do anything. Other times we need them to see it like a speech language pathologist or feeding therapist first. Other times we just have to intervene because they'll never be able to suck if we don't. And is this something that you do on really young babies, the phrenectomies? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think... Is there an, a, a birth age that is not possible to do it at? I, we've, we've done it on a one day old and, you know, it can oh be done and, and truthfully, if the baby has an anterior tie, which is where it's to the tip, they cannot stick. They won't be able to eat if we mm-hmm. don't treat it. And so this. Will you come see my baby? Absolutely. I'd love <laughs> to. Let me know. Of I'm course. Like, so, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would never have even known about this. A lot of people don't. And that's where kind of our mission at Tongue Tie Tribe is to address it more holistically. That's why I wrote the book about it, The Booby Fairy's Guide to Breastfeeding. We we really try to create and get the education out there because it's not being talked about. It's not being taught to physicians. And so it's it's really fallen on the parents' laps to do their own advocacy for their children. And that's a lot to carry. Yeah, well, I think when you're already having to do so much, you just gave birth, you're now trying to care for a baby for the first time and figuring it all out. I'm in the the beginning stages of, holy shit, there's a baby coming and yeah. I need to learn a lot. It was great because the pediatrician was like, you don't need to know everything right away. You're okay. That's true. Like, okay, thanks. Because I was getting a little nervous that I don't know anything. But, you know, there are things like this that, you know, we would never hear about. Um, That's okay. I'll that. come be your baby fairy. Okay, Perfect. Um, I know we haven't talked about, um, the, the lactation in, in specifics, but is there anything else with tongue tying that we didn't get to that this affects? Um, does it affect, you know, do babies get jaundice because of this? Obviously we talked about them getting colicky because of this. Um, is there anything else? In the infant, it definitely does not cause jaundice. That's a completely separate condition. Okay. I will say if the baby does have jaundice and has a tie, it makes it more difficult to treat the jaundice because the only way to get rid of jaundice is for them to be able to eat and poop, right? And so if your tongue isn't functioning and you're burning more calories than you're taking in, that's a problem because the only way to treat jaundice is to literally intake food. So if your mouth isn't functioning properly, you can't take in the food to be able to treat that. But those are two totally separate conditions. Um, One thing I do try to educate families on because obviously we have this brand new baby. We don't want to have to do a procedure to them if we don't have to, but really advocating that a, this is your, your little one. So trust your gut on when and and how to do this, but also knowing it's going to affect them. You know, it can affect them lifelong, their speech, their quality of life, their eating, their, your bond with your child as well. But it is something that, you know, we are seeing more of. And so really just getting the education out there and knowing, is this a possibility? It will, you may be the one to first see it from breastfeeding or just a gassy baby. Yeah. Or even like I said, in an adult for an adult now to walking around with ADHD or migraines or any sinus infections or any of these things to know that there's one other thing out there that they could be looking at. Absolutely. 
that could be cured really quickly with a little laser. That's mm-hmm. that's fascinating. I mean, Kelsey, I know you deal with sinus infections. So I'm sure that kind of oh, I'm literally sitting in here going, um, Paria, can she look at my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, do I, we have gloves? Let's have her examine you here. I mean, seriously, I get sinus infections chronic. I have my whole life, and actually, my sister, she's a singer, so she found out that she had a tongue tie through her vocal yes. coach. So I'm like. Wait, actually, that's a good question. Yeah. Can it be genetic? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Ex- it, it is absolutely. It's a dominant gene. Oh. It is, ex- it is, if Whoa. it's basically all over the family van- rampant. It's- we have to find gloves. I know we have them in the <laughs> okay. house. We're gonna do when we're things. done with the show, we're, we're going to do, we'll for do social, video. we'll do little videos and then yes. <laughs> I'll get checked. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I don't I think it. I have it, but at the same time, it'll be a fun video. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I had um, a, a holistic doctor that would do all this mouth work, and it yes. was very painful, like t- like in rubbing jaws in the you know because I would have such bad TMJ. Now I understand it was from the brain tumor that was pushing on that nerve that controls yeah. the whole side of my face. Mm. And through meditation, I've healed all of it. I love that. Um, so, but it was that mouth work. Every time she's like, "Do you want me to go in your mouth?" I'm like, "Nope, nope, nope, nope." <laughs> We're good. I'm busy that day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll just stick to the acupuncture and the Reiki and stuff. We're good there. But I love acupuncture. This mouth work did not look painful. So what do you do? Because I saw in your video with that little boy, you were massaging and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So is that in place of a phrenectomy or is that something you have to consistently do after a phrenectomy? So what you were seeing in that specific video was the aftercare instructions for right after. So he had just had his procedure and immediately after we bring you in where the mom either breastfeeds or bottle feeds, whichever she's choosing to do. And then I teach the parents the aftercare stretches. So those are the stretches that we have the parents do every four hours round the clock for about two weeks. Wow. And the point of that is to keep the space open so it doesn't heal too quickly. And that it heals in, in the right spot. In the right, right? spot. And it's not <clears throat> pleasant. I mean, we're very open about it. It doesn't feel great. They're not going to be thrilled you're in your mouth or the, you're in Unless you mouth. have that special little boy. He was a special <laughs> spirit. Let me tell you, you know, some babies kind of look at me like, what in the what lady are you doing in my mouth? But a lot of the times, and then they're over it. Like once you're out of their mouth, they're fine, you know? And I can tell you from when I had it done, you know, it feels like a deep tissue massage. Like if you did 50 squats and then the next day you get up and you're like, oh my stars, my thighs are on fire. I mean, it's that type of massage, which yeah. for a baby, they're like, get out of my mouth, lady. This isn't pleasant, but it's a hurts so good type of feeling, Mm -hmm. but it is so important. And the babies will cry. And we just tell the parents, you know, my daughter, when she had hers done, looked at me, she goes, mom, I get it. As a mom, you have to do hard things to make me feel better. I might say a four letter word. Don't get mad at me. I was like, fair, fair point. And so it, and that is, it's, it's sore, but the relief you feel afterwards is stupendous. How long is each session? The, it's seconds. Okay. So you're just going in there quick. It's literally like a big giant scoop under the tongue. Mm-hmm. And then the upper lip is a rub, 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 rub. And that's it. <laughs> this sounds like the job for the baby nurse. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I'm just laughing because, I mean, I would want to do it, but I'm saying if, uh, if I look back at life, there was um, a moment with our dogs. When we first got our dogs, or two of them. One of them didn't want the leash. The second I put the leash on this dog, it was a car alarm. I, 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 
and he would go ballistic. Yeah. This is Benjamin, by the way. <laughs> and, did you meet Benjamin, Kelsey? Oh, my God. I my little chubby to. bubby. Uh, he hated the leash. And we had this um, really wonderful family that lived below us in the apartment complex. And we went away one weekend and we said, you guys, get him leash trained. (laughs) Nice. You put the leash on him. You figure it out. And when we came home, he was really good with the leash. And I didn't have to go through the pain or the trauma. That's the way to do it. You know, you be the rescuer. We'll be the bad guys. We're all right with that. So funny. Um, okay. So lactation, you're obviously an expert on lactation. What do we need to know about lactation? So breast milk, of course, is a living fluid. And one thing I really, there's so much pressure on moms to breastfeed. And this might sound odd coming from a lactation expert. Um, but I truly stand by because I was that mom who struggled Mm -hmm. is that you know, there is, of course, the Fed is Best campaign. And there, I just feel like there's such this divide when we're just trying to care for our babies of do we breastfeed, do we bottle feed? And it doesn't have to be black and white. It can be both. You know, it's really whatever is going to give you that bond with your child, truthfully. So breastfeeding, yes, scientifically we know is best. You know, in one teaspoon of breast milk, there are three million germ-fighting cells. It is a living fluid. And when uh, what's great about our breasts is that it's constantly changing. So for example, when the baby latches onto the breast, that saliva absorbs into the mother's breast and it can react to whatever that baby is fighting if there's different nutritional needs, et cetera. Um, But that doesn't mean that has to happen, right? So breast milk is constantly evolving based on it can change colors, it can change consistency, it will change volumes throughout the day. So in the morning, you'll have larger volumes and in the afternoon, evening, you'll have less, but it's exactly the same calories. Oh, It's the way I kind of explain it, it's this is the restaurant, right? So the supply, <laughs> truck, the supply truck comes at 3 a.m. with all the ingredients you need for the day. So in the morning, you have an omelet bar. So mom might make, say, three ounces. Lunch rush happens. Afternoon, you got an egg left in the kitchen. But the baby's the chef and the lactating mother is the kitchen. So when the chef comes, they can make something. So the milk's made instantly the minute you pump, the minute they suck, regardless. And so it is all made the same consistency. And so based on whatever the the baby needs at that time, it can change. But what I also stress to moms is take the pressure off your shoulders because you only need one to two ounces of breast milk in general, doesn't even have to be specific to that that mother or baby to really give them the full benefits. And even if it's one day of receiving breast milk or two years of receiving breast milk, that baby's still gonna be benefited. And so truly when you're looking at the mother-baby dyad, it truly depends on number one, we feed a baby, whether it's breast, bottle, formula, it does not matter. We have many ways to feed our baby. And number two, you have to do what is going to make you the best mom for that baby. And if breastfeeding isn't for you, that's okay. It's okay. You have to do what's going to bond you to that baby. And that is the most important facet of motherhood, period. I just laugh because I see my husband, Kevin, was a formula baby. Okay. I was a breast milk baby. When I look at the two of our health, it is completely opposite. Yes. He is so healthy. He can totally abuse his body and do all the wrong things. I mean, not like all the wrong <laughs> things, but I mean, just like eat super unhealthy, not sleep well, all those things. And he's an ox. 
and I have to deal with all these health things. Girl, so, I feel you. I um, have all the health issues in the world and I look at the same situation. Right? Yeah. So so I, I am not afraid as a, a mom to be a formula. I My question is, are you able to interchange them as needed, like from go? Absolutely. So it's not I, a problem. It's not a problem. Let me Let me preface it with this. Some babies are very sensitive. Their guts can be very sensitive to certain proteins, which is where it gets tricky in the sense of I've seen time and time again, certain if the baby is gassy, for example, I mean, I can look at I get sent poop pictures all day long because I'm always being asked to decipher. What does this mean? Does this mean okay? My my husband's terrified of my phone because it's usually <laughs> breasts or poop coming into my uh-huh. phone, and so I can you can tell a lot from what's coming out. Um, you know, d- based on the color, is it are they having a difficult time digesting? bovine protein or cow protein or soy protein? Do they need goat's milk, et cetera? Or if the lactating mother is ingesting certain things, is there issues? Is the baby going to react to that? And for example, in one of my videos, you'll see me talk about dairy hair, right? Where the baby's hair can stick straight up and that can be an indication that the baby can't digest cow protein. So they manifest it in that way. And so that comes the game of do we have to be specific at what we're giving the baby, right? But in most cases, absolutely, you can do both. And there's not usually an issue. How do you break down the poop? I want to know, colors-wise, what everything kind of means. You know, when if you walk in my office, there is literally... I have paint sample chips of mm-hmm. all the different colors of poop within the first, you know, six days of a baby's life. So I usually walk in, I'm like, all right, what color is your baby's poop? Is it, you know, duckbill orange today? Or is it seafoam green, <laughs> you know, based on the paint? The guy at Lowe's looked at me like I was painting some something, let oh, me tell you, when I made the, the chart. But in the first 48 hours, so this is actually good for you to know, mm-hmm. the poop is going to be very black and sticky like tar. Ooh. So that's meconium. And the baby's gut is actually open. So when the baby ingests colostrum, which is that first milk, which is full of rich antibodies, it's thick like honey. That's why we call it liquid gold. It actually goes and fills the gaps of the gut. It closes it and it pushes out that meconium. Oh, wow. So it's very black and sticky. So always prep your husband for that because it freaks dads out because it's very sticky. So that's good. That's a good thing. Okay. Right. And then around day two or three, it should start to transition into more of a green color. And then by day six, it should be yellow and mustard seeds and, you know, like bright yellow. And that's healthy poop. I want to see it yellow and seedy and just and it usually doesn't have an odor, which is great, helps okay. with that. And so that's what I want to see. If it's breast milk poop, if you are doing formula based on whatever protein of that formula, it can change the consistency of the poop. So if, for example, there's more soy or if the baby's having a difficult time digesting the cow protein, it can look more green or mucusy or have some blood in it. And those are red flags to look for. But if it's a pasty consistency, some formulas can represent that. So that's where if they're getting both breast milk and formula, You'll see Tricky. the interchanging of the colors, and that's why I get sent pictures. That would be so confusing then to know be. what's what. And also, um, yeah, that would be really confusing, I would think. And as a first-time mom, you're looking at you're, – you're going to have more – 
conversations about poop than you ever thought possible. <laughs> You're gonna I mean, I've been doing diapers. it for 20 years with the dogs. All I do is stare at their poop. Right? I look at every poop. That's how I know when they're healthy. That's when I know they've got digestive issues. I yes. see the music, mucus. I see the diarrhea. So we've been poop people for a long time because – those have been my babies. Yeah. Now, you know, so you get it. Yeah. yeah you're going to be analyzing. And that's why I get sent poop pictures on the daily. Is this normal? Is it yeah. supposed to look like this? So how do you know um, with formula, where do you even start with what's the right formula? Because that sounds really difficult. I mean, as adults, I feel like here on this show, all we do is talk about like, okay, we finally found an almond milk that doesn't have xanthan gum, that doesn't have all these additive things. Um, I, I can't imagine, and I'm, I'm just starting on this journey, I can't imagine how do I find something that is formula that's in a bottle that's going to be the healthiest, safest thing for my baby. That's right. It can be very tricky and finding the right bottle for your baby's mouth, which is also a whole nother ball game. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. I can walk you through that. That's okay. okay. I do uh, recommend, you know, like you want an even flow, but you want to match the palate of the baby, right? So they don't, some of the wider mouth bottles, it's harder, especially if they're tied for their lips to flange and then they suck in air. So mm, what they, might, get gassy. they get gassy, right? And then that's just uncomfortable. So more of like the even flow balance bottles or the Lancino bottles that kind of slope a little bit that can naturally accommodate a baby's mouth and allow them to use, you know, their tongue versus their cheeks or their lips to suck. So they don't burn more calories than they're taking in. A lot of times mm. if it's the wrong shape or if they're tied, it's like sucking a milkshake through a straw off the hole in it while running on a treadmill. It's the worst. Right? And then these babies aren't gaining weight and then the pediatricians are concerned and then these poor moms feel like it's their fault when in reality, it's the baby's just eating on a treadmill. So we we take wow. the treadmill away or we change how they're being fed and what position makes all the difference in the world. So with formula... I do recommend a lot of, I love more the German formulas like Hole and Hip, um, a lot of the more organic side of it because they don't have corn syrup in it. There's a- They put corn syrup. Most of the name brand formulas, their number one ingredient is corn syrup. Exactly. That's the face I made when I learned about formulas. So the Similax, the Amphamils, the Gerber Good Start, their number one ingredient is corn syrup, and that's wrecking these kids' guts. And we all know, I mean, I'm sure you know, based on your reaction, you know how detrimental that is. And um, so- I just know syrup and corn. Like, what what, what more do you need to know? Right. Like, that's just not- And that's how we're starting- There's no syrup in a breast. That's right. <laughs> and we're starting these kids off with that as Sugar. their fundamental in their gut health. And that's a problem. So- some of the, if there's a mom that's doing both breast and formula, really, I try to steer them away from the the corn syrup options, obviously. So a lot of the European German formulas are, they're goat milk based, they're healthier, they don't have any real additives to it. It has the appropriate, you know. Well, goats can't be fed hormones because they right. die, right? That's right. Goats and lambs. I believe. I believe so. Yeah, lambs. That's why you can have lamb meat technically, and it's it's safe because they can't be fed hormones. Um, we need to make sure we write the list of these formulas down as a resource, not only for social, but in the summary of this episode. So everything that she's mentioning, guys, 
we will put in the summary of this episode. And if you're watching on YouTube and you have any questions, pop those down in the uh, comments and we will try to get um, those answers to you guys. Absolutely. Um, So German formulas. Mm -hmm. There are some... I will say uh, some of the more Amer- there are a couple American brands like Kendamil and Bobby that have really done a great job of trying to stay away from that as well. Oh, I think I've heard about Bobby. Yes, I think my friends um, work with Bobby, and they were saying that I should use that. They're a great company. Okay, you know we. It's funny some of the practitioners in our office we we sit around and we talk about all the formulas and we break it down and, you know, um, like our speech language pathologist who really focuses on the gut more than any of us. Um, she will break down the components and there's certain, you know, she's more obviously whole hip, which are the European, um, she likes, you know, certain attributes of Kendamel. And then there's Bobby, which has different fat and protein ratios. I personally really do like Bobby. I feel like the way They've done a beautiful job in A, making it accessible, especially when we had the formula shortage, which was so stressful on families. Um, they did a beautiful job of, they're just moms uh, who created this this formula and they make it so beautiful to be able to give to the families that need it. So they are one of my faves for okay. sure. Good to know. Good to know. Um, let me see here. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything here. Um Oh, Pitocin. <laughs> so I'd love to know more about that because the surrogate reached out to me and said uh, that the OB wanted to schedule an induction and and to induce. And I was like, whoa, wait, why are we inducing? Why aren't we just yeah. letting the baby come when the baby wants to come? And I am pretty knowledgeable having seen Ricky Lake's documentary. Fascinating, The Business of Being Born. And I was like, oh yeah, this is about the business of being born. born. Absolutely. And schedules and all of that. And so uh, the surrogate, I love her so much. She had, uh, her her babies went past term. Okay. And so um, I think with her second child, she induced at some point because she couldn't take it anymore. But um, I said to her, I don't think we want to do that. And then my my friend who's a doula, Lori Bregman, who's been on the show many times, was like, you don't want to do Pitocin because a lot of babies have bad side effects from it. So yes. will you educate us all on Pitocin? Absolutely. So I actually have a background as a doula. That was my first job oh, in wow. the childbearing <laughs> field. Um, so I can, I've seen it on both ends and can completely relate. So Pitocin is a synthetic form of oxytocin. So oxytocin is our love hormone. It's what's released when you have an orgasm. It's what's released when you are lactating. And it's also what starts contractions. So Pitocin is the synthetic form of oxytocin. So depending on that mother and her anatomy and her past birth experiences, which is really beneficial because she knows how she births. She knows what her labors are going to be like. And the the reason why you start to see practitioners wanting to induce when they get to that 42-week marker is because the placenta, which is the organ, of course, that supports the baby, can get old and Mm -hmm. it can calcify and then the nutrients aren't as good to the baby. So it can actually become problematic if the pregnancy goes on too long. In those instances, besides the fact that the pregnancy, you know, 
the mother is ready to be done. I mean, I was that mom, like, get her out. You know, there are natural ways to induce if the baby's ready, right? Yeah. So it really should be on the baby's time. If the when the baby's ready, she'll or she or he will come. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there's acupuncture that can help not only for inductions, also with breastfeeding, calming, that's also part of my world. Uh, but the problem that we're seeing, and Ricky Lake's documentary shown a huge light onto that, is that Pitocin can cause extra pressure on a baby's head. Some, I think it's been documented to be about seven times the amount of pressure on a baby's head. So what we see in our clinic is these babies come in I will, of course, the first thing I ever do after gazing at that sweet one's eyes is I check their suck. I can tell instantly from the way that baby's sucking if they've had Pitocin because they suck almost defensively. It's like Mm. this fight or flight because remember, they have those seven bony plates, which mold together to fit through the birth canal. And so that's why sometimes babies come out with cone heads. However, if when the uterus is responding to oxytocin, our body's natural hormone and the prolactin and, you know, um, all of, or pro, pro, not prolact, prolactin's a lactation hormone. Um, but when you're la- responding to the oxytocin, your uterus contracts this way for a contraction, and then it contracts the opposite way for the next contraction. If you're releasing oxytocin while they're synthetically giving you pitocin, now you have both strengths going against at this the baby time, at the same time. That's why it's putting pressure on the head. Correct. So the goal is to push the baby down and put pressure on the cervix so that it dilates and opens faster. But what they're not taking into consideration is the trauma that's doing to the baby as well. So they're entering in with extra force, constantly being hit, right? So it's almost like the uterus is doing this. It's getting both motions and so it can stress the baby sometimes they'll they'll pass their meconium in the uterus which can be harmful or they'll end up you know stressed you'll start to see you know we we have a saying in the birth world that one intervention leads to another intervention which mm-hmm. can lead to a cesarean and so if that pitocin is on too strong and stronger than it needs to be and the uterus can't handle it, then you've got issues posed to the baby's cardiac health. Are they getting stressed? Is the uterus getting tired? How long are we having this? What strength do we have it at? It can be a good tool when it's necessary, but it doesn't need to be skyrocketed out. So when I see a baby come in and I'm feeling them, they are so tight and in pain. A lot of times the jaws misaligned. And so we have to call in Dr. Weaver, who's our chiropractor to be able to realign the jaw because it's just put so much pressure that then they can't suck correctly. And they're, they're whimpering, you know, they, they, it hurts. So we try to avoid that if we can, um, if it's a necessary tool that this mother and this baby needed it because they needed to be born then we have the resources to undo some of that. So that's why body work, cranial sacral therapy, chiropractic care is so important in my opinion after a delivery to kind of undo mm. what that extra force has done. It's because, you know, like I said earlier, babies are very rubbery. Their bones are rubbery. They have fascia everywhere. So we just kind of undo through stretches. And I and I make it a strong point to teach the parents these very simple stretches they can do at home to help undo a lot of the tension that the birth process went through if they had Pitocin, even if they just had a fast delivery and came out faster than they were ready to. Is that... That can happen, especially if it's the third baby or fourth baby. That's funny. The surrogate delivered the last baby in four hours. 
Okay, so be ready to catch. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why we have to be on baby watch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, especially if this, is this her third, fourth pregnancy? This will be third, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we call that a multip. So yeah, that baby could come real fast. And my child is very active in the womb right now. Like, I love that. Very active. They so awesome humans. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, I wish my mom was around. I could ask her how active I was because I just feel like this child is going to be... <laughs> very, very like me. Cause I was like, get out of my way. I want to get going. I walked at eight months. I was like, let's go. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that was my daughter. I mean, I was on bed rest with her for weeks and I remember literally watching her stick her hand out and move across my belly and it would freak me out, but she's wow. still that feisty of an adult. <laughs> Afterwards. So well, they say an active baby is a healthy baby. Absolutely. Right? So, because at first I was so nervous and then I started looking it up. I'm like, okay. It's a good thing. It's a good It's a thing. very good thing. Um, I love, I love knowing that there are ways to undo this. Again, mm -hmm. things I never would have known um, if, if you weren't educating us on this. And, and I, I love understanding what the Pitocin really does. So understanding the contractions this way and then this way. Yes. That makes me understand what this medication is really doing. I did say if we have to, obviously, if we're in situations, you know, where we have to do things, we have to do things. Like That's I'm not right. going to be, you know, unreasonable. You said you had to do it. So mm -hmm. can you share that experience? Yes. So with my first daughter, um, I was young. I was 22. And I have lupus. So my body is kind of a hot mess express sometimes. Okay. And I went into labor early at 27 weeks, was on bed rest for gosh, until about 37 weeks. And then I started preterm labor contractions again, but it went on and it went on for weeks and I was getting tired. She was getting tired. And so at that point it was a necessary tool because my body just wasn't sure what to do. And I also have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and POTS. So my body metabolizes medications and things very quickly. So I respond differently than the average human. And so my body needed that help in order to get going. So in that case, I had tried everything. And so- Also, if you're not moving, contractions are a lot harder. Exactly. Because I know from my friend who's a doula, she takes people on walks and mm -hmm. hikes to get them to start dilating. Right. And the, the difference too is when you're releasing oxytocin, your natural hormone, you're also releasing endorphins, which is our body's natural painkiller. So you have something to cushion the blow because your body's the one doing it. So when you're in labor on your own, your body's giving you that break. It's giving you the endorphins to deal with the pain of labor. If we're synthetically giving you something that's going to increase your labor, your body isn't quite aware of that. So it's trying to play catch up with releasing these endorphins. So contractions are completely different. They feel different. They're more intense. For me, it was... It was too much. I mean, I and I had wanted this, you know, natural. I was a doula. I wanted it to be, mm -hmm. and I ended up with an epidural. You know, of course, my body is weird, so it only halfway numbed. But that's Oof. a different story. Uh, but I was, you know, stuck, and then she was born, and it ended up being beautiful. But twenty-one months later, when I was getting ready to give birth to baby number two. I absolutely was adamant. I do not want Pitocin. And, you know, I've learned in the many families I've walked through this process with, you know, our mind is very powerful. And oftentimes, if there is a preterm labor situation or prodromal labor, which is where you're contracting for hours and days and it just keeps going on, 
usually there's a mental block. And so it's important to kind of acknowledge that and, and talk through it with the birthing mother. So in my case, you know, I wasn't even making the connection that there was just a block there that I needed to work through. And because you were so adamant, you wanted it one way. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being flexible. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I actually, I mean, I was stuck at three centimeters for 16 hours. And finally, my doctor, who's a dear friend of mine, kind of like, Danielle, we need to have a little chat here. Like you've hit, you've hit your thing, either get the epidural or allow me to give you Pitocin. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not giving pit. Let me, cause the contractions were so much more intense. And I was terrified of that truthfully. Well, cause now you're going to have a double. Yes. And I was yeah. like, no, I don't want that. And it's funny, the power of mind. I agree. I got the epidural, which worked that time. Thank God. And I, the doctor came in, she goes, I think, I think we maybe need to, to mix that bag of pit. And it's like, my brain said, absolutely not. I went from three centimeters to a baby in my arms in 30 minutes. No way. Yeah. Power of mind. I was like, uh, uh, I'm not doing that. And my body just let go. So wow. it's, you know, power so of mind. Do you see a difference in your two daughters, pit and no pit? Interesting. Have you ever I, thought of it? I haven't thought about that. No way. You know, they Does both... Does one have more trauma than the other? Does one have more <laughs> health issues than the other? That's what I would want to know. They both have a lot of health issues. They do. Unfortunately. Wow. Um, weird ones. I'm not sorry. the most... That's okay. You know, it's, it's given them strength. You know, they... It really taught me a lot as a mom of having to be an advocate for your child. Like my eldest daughter, when I was talking about Grey's Anatomy, for example, she had a condition called MALS, which is median arcuate ligament syndrome. So basically she lost 30 pounds in three weeks. She couldn't eat without being doubled over in pain. And we were going to doctors. At what age? 17. Okay. Yeah. And she was tiny, you know, and she she actually went on a missions trip with her dad to India. And so they had taken um, the typhoid vaccine and that had, it's an oral vaccine and that's the way to travel. And what had happened is when she went through puberty and her breasts, you know, had put pressure on her diaphragm. So what malls is, is her diaphragm sat three centimeters too low and cut off her celiac plexus artery. So she had 10% blood flow to her digestive tract. And so it had inflamed her ganglion nerves. The problem is, is all, no one had ever heard of it on the West coast. And every test we did kept coming back negative because you have to eat to see it. Uh. And so I literally had a doctor at Children's Hospital sit me down and be like, ma'am, you need to learn humility in medicine and wrap your head around the idea that this is just functional abdominal pain syndrome and she's being a dramatic teenager. Maria? Oh my God, I have the chills. Nurse Ratchet. It was a man, mama, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet Sorry. and mama I hate bear. to be like that. I've been gaslit so many times and I'm like- You get it. But the best is they always eat it after. <laughs> totally. I mean, what was crazy? I mean, they, the mama bear and nurse ratchet combo is not a good combo. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to take a step back. I've, I've minded my, and I went off as any mother would. And I'm like, you don't know my kid. She's not, she wants to go to school. She wants to experience her senior year. And we were, I'll never forget it. We were watching Grey's Anatomy season 15, episode five. And she's like, mom, that's what's wrong with me. That's what's wrong with me. And we looked it up. And sure enough, there's one doctor in the country that knows how to treat it. In Connecticut, we hopped a plane. We we tracked him down. He took- Only one doctor in the country treats malls? Yeah, correctly, I should say. There's been others that have tried, but wow. he's he's pretty special, this guy. So where is he? 
Stanford Hospital wow. in Stanford, Connecticut. What's his name? Dr. Shu. Okay, just in case. Dr. Shu is fantastic. And what's interesting is so, you know, I'm taking my binder of, of research and I bring it to him and I'm desperate at this point because I know my kid. Yeah. She's not doing this for attention. And it was just the arrogance of the doctor not willing to keep looking. And well, because they don't know what to look for. They so don't. then they get insecure. Exactly. That's the thing that people don't understand is doctors. We've had Zach Bush, Dr. Zach Bush, triple board certified, sit on the couch over there. And he, well, not that specific one, a new, a different <laughs> one. This is new. But he sat there and he was like, the the situation is that we go to medical school. We think mm -hmm. we're going to help heal people. And then we wake up and we realize we're just pharmacists. Yes. And yes. that dynamic is something that I keep trying to share with people, not to poo-poo on the medical industry because we need them and I love them and they've saved my life multiple times. But- um, you have to know where to play your players as a coach. And healing isn't mm -hmm. necessarily their game. They are taught, here are the symptoms, here's the disease, here's the medicine. Exactly. And so when we go in and we relinquish control over to them and think, heal me, save me, they're on their side, he said, being like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do. But they have to give me an answer. So they refer you to another person. They just do the mm -hmm. referral game and they send you to all these specialists. And then the specialists are like, oh, let's operate or whatever. Or and call Psychin, which was so devastating to my daughter. Psychin. Oh, wow. They Without my consent, by the way, which was a whole nother. But which there is a place for that. Yes. But in my daughter's situation, she wasn't being heard. Yeah. And she wasn't And that being, makes you crazy. And that makes me crazy. And it's okay to say, I don't know, because medicine is evolving. And that's yes. just what I wanted to hear. You, I call it practicing medicine for a reason. You're practicing. And when you're done practicing, you need to stop. Yeah. But it's evolving. And you, you're you going to learn by listening to that patient. She was telling them what they needed. They just weren't willing to listen or yep. think outside the box. Yes. And so they weren't willing to be like, I'm so sorry. I just don't know, but I'll keep seeking. But That's also what they're I not allowed to look outside the box either. If you really think about That's it, true. the other problem is they're handcuffed. Yes to the the teachings and what the institutions allow. And there's so many lawsuits that they have to be so careful. So they can't really think out of the box either, which is why I advocate for having a naturopath or a functional mm -hmm. medicine person on your team that can help you with the stuff they can't. Absolutely. So she was treated for malls in Connecticut. Did you go back to the children's hospital doctor and inform them? Oh, yes. And what did they there say? Was, they, they just ignored it. They yeah. just ignored it. I mean, what are they going to say? I was so beyond but to frustrated. to help the next person, you'd think that they would say, wow, thank you for sharing that with me. Or, But they're just, it's, then it, it's ego. It was an ego thing. Yeah. And, and that was unfortunate. But I mean, we were loud about it for sure. And that was always our platform. And always, you know, my daughter's platform of like, I need to pay it forward. I need yep. to, like, this, this happened to me. I and she went, and what's sad is, so we were in Connecticut for a month after she literally saved her life. She went into full kidney failure about a month. We were literally, and this was during quarantine time. Like we got into surgery at the nick of time it was January, 2020. She was in, we were back there for a month because it was a massive vascular surgery. She, they removed about three centimeters of her diaphragm, her entire ganglion nerves. And she, but it was the moment she ate, she she got a hamburger and she came out of surgery and she took a bite and she just looked at me and starts sobbing. She goes, it doesn't hurt, mom. It doesn't hurt. And 
the the relief you finally feel of just being the victory of like okay we're it the journey's just starting but we we've gotten there yeah. and of course we went back and we're like this is what you need to know like if you have like listen to the patient and it it was a long journey i mean she did go into kidney failure we found out um she ended up on a feeding tube and it took a year to recover but now she's strong and and doing well and um you know has just kept on and now she's wow. a mentor for other kids who have gone through malls and and it's been really beautiful to see. So sweet. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is the longest interview I've done in a very, very <laughs> long time, Danielle. Um, and I could probably go for two more hours, but I'm going to leave it here for now, knowing that you're going to have to come back and do more. I would love to. Um, you are a wealth of information, and I'm so excited that um, that you are here today and sharing all of this with us. And I feel a lot better Moving forward, I know a lot. And we're going to do our tongue tests. You got it. I'm happy to. <laughs> let's um, let's make sure uh, we put all the resources in the summary below, guys. We'll have everything for you guys in there so that uh, everything that Danielle shared with us is easily accessible for you. And also, we do um, blogs of every episode. They're at mariamenunos.com. What is the tab they have to go to, Kelsey, for the blogs? Just blogs, probably. Right? Blogs, they go to Life Hacks. Oh, Life Hacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go to Life Hacks and everything will be in there as well. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. To see the video of Kelsey and I getting our mouth exams and the results, which are shocking, uh, go to heelsquad.com. I mean, no, go to Instagram, our Heel Squad Instagram. And you will get to see the video of that there. I am so, so excited for everything that I learned today. I hope you guys are too. If you liked this episode, send us a review. You can click the link in the uh, summary of this episode to share that with us. Um, it always helps us to to hear your feedback, and especially when it's great. Maybe the bad feedback could be somewhere else. But on Apple Podcasts, we like everybody to see um, what we're about. And don't forget mariamenunos.com for the life hacks blogs. So this episode will be turned into a blog with all the really important information for you there. All the aha moments are always there. So you can listen with freedom and, and not have to take notes all the time. Uh, we do that for you. And also our merch is there too. So you can get some really cool merch. In the meantime, be nice people, make good choices and be present. Distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or MariaMenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.